Hey fellow couch theologians, before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that we'll be doing a special Q&A episode at the end of this season, but we need your help. If you think of a question or topic you'd like to hear more about, email us an audio recording of your question to ct5ktheology at gmail.com. Try to keep it short and concise, and if you could, include a transcription of your question in the email. We can't wait to hear from you, and without further ado, let's get into it. All right, Connor, are you ready? Yep. All right, this is episode one of We Don't Know Yet. <laughs> Couch to 5K. Couch to 5K Theology. And that's what we're rolling with at the moment. We'll yep. come back in and I'll, you know, I'll do one of those little fancy intros at the beginning. Yeah. It'll be good. Think about selling some sponsor spots. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that'll be fun. Like who? I don't, I don't know. Alistair McGrath. There we go. This is perfect. <laughs> All right, so uh, we're just going to jump right into, I think, the first question we need to ask. All right, let's just start with, what's the idea here? The inspiration. What's the purpose? So what's yeah. the, that's a great place to start. So I was actually listening to a book that you recommended to me um, called Knowing Sin, I think. Oh, yeah. I don't remember the author's name. Uh, Mark Jones. There you go, Mark yeah, Jones. Yeah. Uh, and it's a book on homartiology. Is that mm. the right? Did yeah. I get it right? Study of sin. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. So... And he used an analogy in there. Don't even remember what the analogy was pertaining to. That's how much of an active listener I am. But it was, he was talking about these couch to 5K programs. And if you don't know what a couch to 5K program is, it's basically, let's take somebody who is not necessarily in good shape, who doesn't work out regularly. And we're going to take them from that. And in a span of 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, however long the program is, we're going to get them to where they can run in a 5K race. And, and finish at least, if not do well in it. And I thought, man, that is what somebody like me needs for Christian theology. Um, I would consider myself of the two of us here, the couch, and I would consider you the 5k runner. <laughs> <laughs> you got nothing to say I mean, to that i'm not there i'm not <laughs> well you're closer than i am both literally and in our theological sense All so right. so the idea with this podcast and with this content is to create something that helps people engage with theology in a way that's meaningful and in a way that's not intimidating because for a lot of people including myself even engaging with the study of God and who God is and what he is and what he does and how he interacts and all these big questions that we're going to get into is incredibly intimidating to sit down with a book or books that are thousands of years old that were written in languages we don't speak to cultures we don't live in about people who we've never met in real life. And we're supposed to glean from that some sort of universal life truth. That's a big, that's a big ask. <laughs> oh yeah. It's huge. It's a dawning task and one that everybody shouldn't take lightly. Yeah. So so the hope is that by the end of this, whatever the end looks like of this conversation, this broader conversation outside of, of this podcast, is that people, I think my goal, and Connor, you can tell me if, if you have the same goal, but I think my goal is to create something that people walk away from and say, I don't feel as intimidated to go and engage with this with these questions on my own, you know, apart from a podcast like this or a resource, but they can go to scripture or they can, or they know where to look to find more information and to learn more. Right. Yeah, I would agree. Um, you know, we, theology isn't just something for pastors and seminary professors. It, it's something for everybody and everybody can get something good from it. And uh, it, it's encouraged for us to do so. So yeah, I'm excited for it. Uh, I'm excited to learn more than anything else. I think, you know, like, as you said, we're, we're doing this to create a community that knows more about God and uh, stuff like that, but it's us, it's for us too. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, yeah. So I, I, I really like what you said, cause that sets up, I've got a page of quotes ready for transitions. So here's the first one. Um, it's, it's by RC Sproul. And I actually saw you looking at this book earlier and he says, no Christian can avoid theology. Every Christian is a theologian. 
perhaps not a theologian in the technical or professional sense, but a theologian nevertheless. The issue for Christians, and this is this is my favorite part, the issue for Christians is not whether we are going to be theologians, but whether we are going to be good theologians or bad ones. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the book he's referencing is uh, called Everybody's a Theologian, one of the most well-selling books that R.C. Sproul has written. Um, and his kind of thrust behind the book is that everybody has an opinion about God. And whenever you start to talk about God, you're doing theology. So whether you believe in him as your Lord and Savior, whether you think he's just some supernatural force or a higher power, or whether you don't believe in him at all, you're doing theology because you're talking about God. Yeah, exactly. And that was that's something A.W. Tozer talks about in Knowing God. He says, everybody has thoughts about God. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody is a theologian. And what comes to mind when we think about God is what the most important thing about us is. Right. And so our goal is to say, hey, we're already thinking about God. Let's think about it deeper. Let's think about it more critically. And let's do it in a way that we walk away not feeling like we have more questions than answers necessarily, but walking away feeling like, okay, I I at least really believe something to be true, <laughs> whether we can say we know or not. Right. Yeah. So... All that being said, um, theology, this big topic, Connor, I, I love that you said it doesn't just apply to people who believe certain things about God. It doesn't just mean that, oh, I believe God is real and, you know, I adhere to this set of beliefs about him, but it applies to people who are maybe not necessarily Christians or who don't even believe God is real. We're all thinking about God and we all have a certain set of questions that we ask. We ask, who is God? We ask, what is God? We ask, where is God? When is God? Why is God? How is God? Right? Is God a woman? That's what Ariana wants to know, or she seems right. to have already figured it out. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> so. So today we want to start with a very big question that we can't possibly encapsulate in a hundred episodes of a podcast, but we're going to at least start a conversation about the question, who is God? I like it. So when we were when we were talking about doing this, one of the things that we struggled with was like, where do we start? Do we start with the specifically Christian definition of God? Or do we go to something more philosophical that appeals to even somebody who hasn't been educated in the church and hasn't grown up in church and really isn't familiar with words like holy and sovereign and merciful and just and gracious? So I think we landed on that. We're going to start with like a more broad definition of who God is, one that would be used in um, philosophical terms and that uh, philosophers uh, deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Something that, you know, whether you, I mean, like we've already said, this idea of God, I mean, you even said earlier, maybe the better question is just what is God, right? Not even, we can get to the who part later. Because who implies some things that he's personal and that he's a person or persons, as we're going to talk about when we get into Trinitarianism and all those fun things. But what is God? So, Connor, I'm just going to ask you, (laughs) I'm putting you on the spot. What is God? Well, I think we have to start with that. God is perfect. No matter where you are, your definition of God has to be that he's perfect. And that entails really three key characteristics about God and that that means he's omniscient, omnipotent, and benevolent or good. Um, And and those are big words, but I think we're going to go ahead and break them down. Yeah, let's do it while we're here. All right. So omniscient, the prefix omni means all. So it's all. Then the second part of the word uh, means knowledge. So it means all knowing, right? Uh, the second word that we talked about, omnipotent, still the same prefix. So it's all. And the last part of the word is potent, which means powerful or strong. So God is all knowing and he's all powerful. And the last part about it is that he's benevolent, which means that he's good. Okay. So when we're thinking about God being all knowing and all powerful, 
just right away, my upbringing brings conflict to those words. Not that I don't believe them, but they mean different things to different people. Right. So give me a good baseline, if there even is such a thing, of what it means that God is all-knowing or that he's all-powerful. That is, let's just say this, a good baseline for those terms that applies to that, that can kind of get us started in this conversation about who God is. What are some things that most everybody could agree on? Well, I think most everybody could agree on that God knows everything that can be known. Okay. Um, which seems like, duh, if he's all-knowing, then that makes sense that he knows everything that can be known. Um, but it, it starts to get into the murky areas of logic and like, can God think of something that is both like say this laptop and at the same time, not this laptop. And logically speaking, no, because it violates the law of contradiction. Right. It kind of, it's kind of like the, the thought of, you know, the, the example that, and this kind of goes into the all powerful thing, but the, can God make a rock that's so heavy? He can't lift it. Right. This is, this is the mental equivalent of that, of can God know something that is in contradiction to itself? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So then all powerful kind of break that down too. Yeah. So same thing with knowledge. It, it means everything that power can do. So with the rock equation, right? Um, can God make a rock so heavy that he can't lift it? Well, when somebody asks me that, I ask them, how big's a rock? And they say things ranging from, oh, it's as big as a planet. I'm like, yeah, God can move that. Yeah. And they say, okay, well, it's as big as the solar system. I'm like, oh yeah, God can move that. And they were like, they get frustrated and they're like, okay, it's as big as this universe. And I'm like, yeah, easily. And they're like, okay, um, it say this universe was bigger and the rock was bigger than the universe. And I'm like, yeah, if it's still a rock, then God can move it. Right. And then they get to the point where they throw around the word infinity and they're like, okay, the rock's infinitely big. And that's where they, that's where it falls short. Because a rock can't be infinitely big because you can't measure infinity. Um, you know, I, we talked about this in philosophy classes a lot, the concept of infinity. And think of the biggest number you can think of. And that number is infinitely times closer to one on the number line than it is infinity. Yeah. It's, it's not something that can be reached. So when you talk about an infinitely big rock, you're talking about something that doesn't exist. And if it doesn't exist, then God can't move it and it can't exist. Right. So it's a logical contradiction. I think about, so here's the couch portion of the podcast coming into things. So John Green, one of my favorite authors, right? Wrote a lot of great YA novels. In one of his novels, I want to say it's in The Fault in Our Stars. He he has this phrase where he says, some infinities are bigger than others, which sa- which is a great line for a novel, but it's not mathematically true. No, all infinities are the same size because like you just said, you can't measure it. So to kind of sum all that up, what I'm taking away from that is logically speaking, God being all powerful. I I really like how you said that he can do everything that power can do. Right. As much as power can do, he can do that. And if it's outside of the reins of power, logically speaking, because it's it's logically impossible, then he can't do it because it just can't be done. That's it sounds really weird coming out of my mouth. <laughs> right. Well, like think of like we're all familiar with the concept of unicorns, right? Okay, yeah. And we know they don't exist. Right. So asking God to wipe out all the unicorns is something that God can't do because they don't exist. Gotcha. So when we say things like there's some things that God can't do, we're not committing heresy. Right. Some, some things that we can ask God just doesn't make sense. Right.
Um, so yeah. Okay. That I that's a that that was a really helpful illustration. You can't get rid of something that doesn't exist. Right. Yeah. I think there's a young Sheldon episode about the number zero and how the number zero doesn't exist. Right. Zero is like in the same realm that infinity is. Right. Yeah. Of we just we you can't quantify it. No. So okay. So that was we got all knowing. We got all powerful, benevolent, good. Right. Break that down for me. And, and this is kind of where it it's still in the realm of philosophy, but it's inching towards a, the Christian view of who God is. Um, and when we say that God's benevolent, when we say that God is good, it, it kind of implies that we know what's right and what's wrong. And when we look, look at the news, whether it's national news, local news, it doesn't take long for us to see things that are wrong in the world. You know, uh, whether you want to talk about the journalists that just passed away at the World Cup or a natural disaster that hit Asia or, or, or anything like that, um, we can see things that are desperately wrong with the world and people are wondering why. Yeah. And they use that as evidence as though God doesn't exist. Because if God exists, then he has to be good. And if he's good, and if he's the all-powerful, then these things shouldn't happen because God should intervene. Right. So how do we... So then how do we make the argument, and, and this is a bigger question than this episode of this podcast, but how do we start to make that argument that, okay, God is good, but bad things still happen? Right. So... I, I was talking with somebody last week and we were kind of talking about this and they were like, don't you see all the injustice in the world? And like, surely if God existed, he would stop all these things. And I said, you know what? I, I see your point. And believe me, if there were, if I was all powerful, you would see how many things I would change. But if I was all knowing too, I would probably leave everything the same. And while, while we have an inkling of what good is and what a good God could do, given that he's all-powerful, we're not even close to all-knowing. Think of the smartest person in the world, wh- whoever you think that person may be. They can't even encapsula- encapsulate, uh, <laughs> encapsulate, encapsulate uh, even 1% of knowledge that can be known. Yeah. There's just too much. Even if you spent 10 generations reading through all the internet articles, you're not going to come close to knowing what God knows. And, you know, I believe that God has a a bird eye perspective of the world and that he sees how situations could work out and he restrains us from going into those situations because that wouldn't be good for us. So. Yeah, that it makes me think of from like a storyteller's perspective, because I'm, I mean, that's my job as I tell stories. And from a storyteller's perspective, some of the most compelling stories are the ones where things that we think are bad, we start to feel sympathy and empathy towards once we start to gain some insight to why that thing happened. So a great example of this is the Joker movie or, that came out with uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Um the Joker is one of these characters that you look at and you're like, oh, he's just so evil and sadistic and twisted. And and he is. But what that movie did is it took you through a back door and said, okay, what if there's a reason why he's like this? Let me give you a little bit of knowledge about why this happens. Now, I'm not saying that God lets evil happen because he sees the the bad things that happen to bad people. And then, you know, but but I'm saying that special insight, that special knowledge starts to change the way we feel about things. So imagine if we had all the knowledge about everything that happened, I think, I think what you said is if we were all powerful, we would change a lot. But if we were all knowing, we probably wouldn't because we understand things in a way that we're not even close to being capable of understanding right now. Right. And I think one other thing that we have to realize is that the question, why do bad things happen to good people is relatively recent. And and in the ancient world, people didn't struggle with that question. They were more concerned about why did good things happen to bad people? Why did it seem like the wicked prospered? Um, So, and I think that's a better question we should be asking than this one. Yeah, that's really compelling. Um, 
that's a good one to sit on for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Of, of how Western thought processes have changed. And now the questions we ask are, oh, why are bad things happening to me? Instead of why are good things happening to people they shouldn't be happening to by our judgment. Um, yeah. I, I want to dig into it, but I also just kind of want to let everybody sit with it for a second. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, I'll tell you what, let's, one thing I, d- I do want to do is I have got, I've gone through a couple, I've got three really big proclamations of faith kind of deals, a couple creeds and catechism stuff that I pulled from. And I want to look through some of these, these answers to the question, what is God or who is God? And kind of hit on the high points. And this is going to start to drift more into the the theological Christian worldview of God. It's not even going to drift into it. This, this is what a lot of people would say is the Christian worldview of God, but that's also what we're here to talk about. And I want us to see what's helpful about this. What's confusing about this. What are some things that, Hey, everybody probably agrees on this part, but not everybody probably agrees on this part. That sort of thing. All right. So I'm just going to throw these at you (laughs) and you just, you just start giving me your feedback. So this first one comes from, this is the language used in the new city catechism, but it is very much pulled from the Westminster shorter catechism Um, in a catechism for anybody who doesn't know um, to catechize is to ask questions and memorize them and then memorize the answers to those questions to, to essentially learn something. Um, So for a long time in the early Christian church, these were used, they would put together lists of important questions and important answers, and they would memorize them as a way of teaching congregations essential truths. Did I get that right, Connor? Yeah, I'm in a church history class right now, and they were talking about how the catechumen mm-hmm. was a basically a, a discipleship material. Gotcha. Now, once somebody professed faith in Christ, they would have to go through the, the catechesis, which was a three-year-long program. Wow. Before they could even get baptized. That's crazy. So they, they took knowing God very seriously. Yeah. And this is even before the Council of Nicaea and Trent and mm-hmm. um, the Canons of Dort happened. Right. Like, we're talking very early on in Christian history. They took knowing God very seriously. Yeah. That's, yeah. Th- wow. Three years. I can't even commit to like a one year Bible reading plan, (laughs) let alone a three year (laughs) discipleship process before getting baptized. Uh, So that's that's kind of material we're working with here. So the first one, uh, the question is, what is God? And the answer is God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He is eternal, infinite and unchangeable in his power and perfection, goodness and glory wisdom, justice, and truth. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. So right off the bat, I'll tell you what I catch out of that post our conversation so far is the first and last sentence of that. God is the sustainer of everyone and everything. And then the last sentence is nothing happens except through him and by his will. So this kind of, to me, starts to get into the sovereignty and providence of God, of what is God really in control of? What is he really um, acting upon? Can you kind of break down, let's start here. Can you break down kind of some of the different views on how active God is with his all-powerful, all-knowing self? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but before I do that, I kind of yeah. want to talk about the the very first thing Okay. when the sentence says God is the... And yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but it said creator, right? Correct. Okay. That's such an important word in Christian theology because it dictates mm. the rest of our worldview. Yeah. If we don't view God as our creator and ultimately the creator of all things, then we're not going to ascribe authority to him. Mm. There has to be this creator creature distinction yeah. before sustaining us is even a part of the equation. Right. So... I just want to throw that in there because yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that that sets the basis and the foundation for uh, what God is. Definitely. Uh, but to what you were talking about, about the uh, providence of God and his uh-huh. activity in the world, there are a couple schools of thought. Uh, the first one I want to talk about is the uh, deist perspective. Yeah. Uh, so deist is a uh, a person who believes God exists. But he doesn't believe that God is active in the world. Okay. So God's not active in foreign affairs. He's not manipulating situations. And um, he's not 
coming into the world to save us. He's not loving us. He he really just created all things and then set the world in motion and has like a hands-off Kind of like spinning a top. He just set it to spin and yeah. walked away. Yeah. And, and just rolling until the sun burns out. Yeah. Um, and, and many people will say that when it comes to the Constitution uh-huh. and the founding documents of our nation, they'll say, oh, well, this nation wasn't founded on Christian values. It was founded on uh, theist values. Yeah. And part of that is true because Benjamin Franklin was a deist. Right. But out of the 55 people who signed the de- declaration, only three of them were deists. And ben- Benjamin Franklin was just one of the <laughs> biggest names that we know. Right. Many of the others were uh, Episcopalians, Presbyterians, Lutherans, and, and things of that nature. Gotcha. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so that's one very prominent view. And I think, I think what's interesting as we're having these conversations about theology, to kind of go back to what we talked about at the top, everybody has a thought about God, even if they don't realize it. And I think this is one of those pervasive thoughts that a lot of people don't realize they have, that um, what we would call today kind of this agnostic, this agnosticism of, well, I don't really know, like I kind of believe in a higher being, but I don't really know what that is, or I don't really know, you know, what that means. Um, like spirituality just as a way of living is is at an all-time high in our nation but christian demographics are shrinking and in denominational demographics even amongst muslims and jews for the most part are shrinking but spiritualism this idea of being connected to something greater than ourselves is growing and i think that that deism that was pre- that's been present for thousands of years is is just showing itself in a new way in this in this modern these modern attempts through you see things like witchcraft uh you know relying on on rocks for for the way that they draw energy out of us and things like that and I'm not making fun of anybody who's into that but I'm that is an expression to me of this I believe in something bigger than myself but I don't know what it is right and honestly I think the deist perspective and the agnostic perspective is at least intellectually respectable. Yeah. Uh, atheism, on the other hand, the view that God doesn't exist, and mm-hmm. I know that, right, isn't respectable. Just because the atheist says things like, I don't believe God exists, and I hate him. It's like, how? <laughs> how does you that work? You can't hate something that doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. Logically so, impossible. Exactly. So, yes, but I, I was in a... Uh, evangelism class Mm -hmm. and he was talking about um you know how the spiritual state of the world and how many people do seem that they call themselves spiritual and one of the best things we can do as christians when we hear somebody say that is say oh that's great did you know god made it made you that way so that you could know him Mm. yeah because they're so in sunday or uh not in sunday uh in church today Yeah, yeah we talked about the the story of zacchaeus and, you know, it's a story that I've known since I was growing up in church. Right. And the pastor was talking about how Zacchaeus was seeking after something. He had all the material possessions in the world. He was the chief tax tax collector in Jericho, which was a prosperous city right. in that area. Yet he was still searching for more, something that could satisfy his soul. And he found that in Jesus. And when he found Jesus, he sold everything. And yep. gave back to the people he stole from. And he found meaning in him. And I think of what Augustine said. He said, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee, talking about mm-hmm. God. And I, I think that's the same for deists, Hindus, Muslims. Yeah. Everybody who doesn't have faith in Christ, it's, it's this endless miserable journey of finding out what meaning is, what purpose is. But we have that hope, a steady anchor for our souls that Christ is yeah. our our sure foundation. Yeah. So well and I think that in my mind at least you can correct me if I'm way off the the mark here, but when we're talking about who is God and and we'll we'll hit these other definitions, but this is a pretty common thing that shows up is that he's our sustainer. He's our creator. He created us to be sustained by him. And 
I think that he, like you said, he wired us in a way that when we're not looking to him for our sustenance, we feel like there's a, you know, the the classic way to say it is there's a God-shaped hole in our heart. Mm -hmm. There's something missing. And when we don't allow ourselves to be sustained by him and in relationship with him more specifically, we, we notice it. And, and like you said, like that, that starts to express itself in different ways. Does that, am I just totally off the mark there? No, I, th- I think that's perfect. Um, and so I heard, I think it was Vody Bauckham say okay. this, and he was talking about us waking up in the morning. And so many of us attribute that to the fact that we set our alarms the previous night, mm. but he attributes it to the fact that God's not done with us yet, that he yeah. still has purpose with us. Yeah. If we're Christians and we still have purpose in glorifying him and spreading his kingdom, and if you're not a Christian, then he's still being patient with you, hoping that you would come to him. Yeah. Man, that's good stuff. Okay, we're going to move on to the next confession here. So this is pulled from the Nicene Creed, um, which, correct me if I'm wrong, is very essential to the Catholic, Roman Catholic faith. It is a big part of their confessionals. I Maybe. Think. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I saw. I found it. Well, I found it on the American Catholic bishops page. So oh, well, it I, seems pretty important. Yes. Um but it, I just pulled the, the first line from it. It says, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. So what, what sticks out to you about that one? Yeah. So the Nicene Creed first line starts out with saying, I believe in one God. That is also a, a pivotal foundation for Christianity. Mm-hmm. We are a monotheistic religion. Right. Uh, which creates tension with uh, with those who are outside of the faith, right? Because they see us not only talking about God the Father, but also Christ the Son, right, and the Holy Spirit. And we say, yes, all of those persons are God, but they're three persons and and one being, right? And they're like, well, that doesn't make sense. And I'm like, yeah, I <laughs> yeah, agree. It, it really I, doesn't. I don't know how <laughs> else to explain it. Yeah, and. We have to be careful when we come to that kind of issue and make sure we don't say something like, oh, that's irrational or mm. illogical. Mm. Mm-hmm. Just because we don't understand something doesn't mean that it's against logic. Right. Right. When I was in third grade, I didn't know how to do calculus. That doesn't mean that calculus wasn't a legit math. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think as we're having this conversation about who is God, what is God, um, there's a lot about God that we can't comprehend. I mean, if this is truly a being who is above all our understanding, above all our, our power and ability, and above all of our moral understanding of what is right and wrong, then he then he is above our understanding. Right. And yeah. and so there are just some things that we cannot truly say, I know this through and through, not just to be true, but but that I understand the inner mechanisms and workings of it. One right. of those things is is the Trinity. Yeah. Like if if you could understand God, then I don't think that's the God you should be worshiping. Yeah. You Clip know, like, that. Clip that and right. put it on a reel. It's it's like I was studying Greek mythology for a while. Yeah. And if you've studied that, or if even if you've read the Percy Jackson books, something <laughs> that stands out is that these gods mm. are very much like us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They commit all kinds of uh sexual sins and uh-huh. which they didn't call it sins but right misconducts whatever you want to call it they they were angry at one another they committed like backstabbing yeah between the other constantly gods. punishing one another it's like, very petty yeah kind of things and the question i think is so prevalent is that are these gods worth worshiping and i think that's a huge reason why what 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 was Greek religion is now Greek mythology. Mm, People yeah. came to the con- conclusion that this God isn't worth wor- worshiping. Right. So 
I don't think we'll ever get to that point with a Christian God. Yeah, we haven't in 2000. And then if you want to take into all of the the Jewish history of what we would say is the same God, you know, we're looking at eight to 10,000 years. Oh, yeah. Of, of, follow, of a group of people following the same God and saying, yeah, he's still worth it. Right. You don't have that anywhere else in, in the world. Yeah. No. Anywhere. No. And I was listening to this one comedian and he, and he was like, guys, I hate to say it, but, but Christianity won out of all the world <laughs> religions. He, they, they, won. They, won. they won. They won it. They may have lost some, some wars and some battles along the way that probably shouldn't have been fought in the first place. Right. For, for 2000 years. I mean, I, I know the the Buddhists are still going strong, but the Buddhist population compared to the Christian population, yep. and if you just look at the growth and the numbers and the just the consistency with the teaching, no mm-hmm. other religion comes close. Right. And th- then one of the object- objections that come along the way is that, oh, that's because only the, the white people were, were Christians. <laughs> it's like... Jesus wasn't even white. Yeah. That's not how it started. It's a Middle Eastern religion. Right. It's it, it's an Eastern yeah, religion. I mean, truthfully, yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, there, there's a lot that could be said. That, and that's probably going to be an episode at some point about yeah. the, the diversity of, because the Ethiopian church is one of the oldest Christian churches in the world. I mean, you're talking like, if we were to rank them like first, second, third oldest, it's probably up there in the top five. Oh yeah, way older than any white man church. Oh yeah, hundred percent. So okay, so so moving on now to a white man's church, the Baptist Faith and Message, right. two thousand. Pulling on my roots here, but I, when I was reading different descriptions of who God is and, and the way that different denominations had talked about it, this one kind of stuck out to me for for one specific line, and we're going to kind of tie this back to when we talked about what it means to be all knowing. I'm going to read the whole thing, and then I'll come back. You'll probably hear the the part I'm talking about. So it says there's one and only one living and true God. Okay. There's the monotheism. We've hit on that. He is an intelligent, spiritual, and personal being, which I think is an important line. And we we probably want to come back to that too. He's the creator, redeemer, preserver, ruler of the universe. He's infinite in holiness and all other perfections. God is all powerful and all knowing. And his perfect knowledge extends to all things past, present, and future, including the future decisions of his free creatures. To him, we owe the highest love, reverence, and obedience. The eternal triune God reveals himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with distinct personal attributes, but without division of nature, essence, or being. All right, there's a lot of really churchy theological words there, but the let's start with he's an intelligent, spiritual, and personal being. That, that personal word is not really something we've hit on. Because I think it is a very Christian attribution to who God is. Yeah, 100%. This is when the question shifts from what is God to who is God. Right. Right. And when we say God is a person, we mean that he had, we we look at ourselves and we examine ourselves and, and we kind of think about what attributes we have, what characteristics we have that make us different than, than everything else in all of creation. Right. And it's things like a conscience mm-hmm. and mor- morality and goodness and things of that nature, but also that we are able to relate to each other and have a community and agree on things and disagree with things and um, have emotions. Mm-hmm. That That's such a key yeah. piece of Christianity. Even for those who have grown up in church they still view God as this, which he is, he's high on his throne, he's ruler of all things, creator, sustainer, right. yes, and amen. But he he also has emotions. He he gets angry at sin. Yeah, we Je- see that all through the Bible. Right. And even Jesus was the embodiment of God. Yeah. And he got angry. And, and when I say Jesus got angry, it's it's easy to look at him in the temple and him throwing the tables and... Right. Uh, and, and things of that nature. But the, there's one passage, John 11, mm-hmm. it's uh, a story of Lazarus, him raising from the dead. Yep. And the scripture says that Jesus was, his spirit was deeply moved within him. Mm. And, and that doesn't mean he had bowel movements. It didn't mean he needed to go to the bathroom. It, that it, wasn't something John felt like he needed to put in there. No, yeah. it, it meant that Jesus was angry at death. Mm. That's what it meant wow. when it said that, 
Jesus's spirit was deeply moved within him. Yeah. He was angry at death. He was angry at the state of the world because when he designed it, it did not have death. Right. And he's looking at death and, and you know, we think death is natural. Death is as certain as taxes and, you know, whatever outset that yeah. just seems to prevail throughout history. And taxes Jesus is the big one though. Yeah. Ta- yeah. Always. Uh, always. And, and Jesus is looking at it and thinking, this is the most unnatural thing. Yeah. This is not how I designed mm, it. Wow. And one day, it'll be as it was when I created it. Yeah. So, the fact that he, he gets angry with things that, that go against the created order that he set forth is something that should tell us how we should align our lives. Right. ask you this so god being personal how does his his personality which i think you just described that god has a personality how does god's personality in in through expressing itself in anger and different emotions you know when when i think about anger typically i think of it being associated with some kind of sin not necessarily being angry towards sin but being angry out of a place of sin how does God's personality and his benevolence being good and being absent from sin and holiness, and we'll get into all those things later, but how does his personality tie into his perfectness? That's a good question because we we talk about the personhood of God yeah. and examine his emotions and we see very positive things. He's loving, he's gracious, he's, he's merciful and just. And, and then we see things like he's wrathful and he's mm, angry. Right. And we're, we're wondering, like, how does that fit into a benevolent God? Yeah. How does that fit into a God who is literally described as love? And I think, I think this is it. If you love something, you're going to hate the opposite of that. Mm, yeah. So I'm a Tennessee fan, which naturally and logically means I hate Alabama. Understandable. Third Saturday of October comes around. I am all against Bama, right? Yeah. Because I love Tennessee. Right. It's like if you love your daughter, which all fathers should, you would hate anybody that treated her poorly. Right. Right. Or if you have a girlfriend, you would hate anybody that tried to take her away from you. Absolutely. Right. So, um... That God's hate for things, his wrath for things, stems from his love. Right. So, I, 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 and honestly, if God's not wrathful, if God isn't angry at some things, mm-hmm. I'm mad at God. <laughs> yeah. It's like, God, aren't you angry? Aren't you at upset all these about this? things that are going on the, yeah. in the world? And he's like, yes, I am. Yeah. And one day he will judge. Right. And, and that should give us hope. Yeah. That one day all things will be reconciled and taken into consideration. Right. That's like, I, you know, I was, I've been listening to, um, going to give a free shout out to the Bible project, love their stuff. And I was listening to, they were doing a question and response in their series on the scroll of Deuteronomy and it got connected to the sermon on the Mount. And when Jesus talks about, you know, if, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out sort of deal. And there is this righteous anger towards sin that comes from a holy place of wanting to be rid of it, wanting to be apart from it. Um, So it's something we see Jesus exemplify. We see it exemplified through God in the Old Testament. We see the apostles exemplify it in different ways. Um, uh, Paul talks about, you know, killing sin, executing sin in your life. So so yeah, I think that's helpful to put it in that kind of context of of the place that it's coming from. I think it's the key factor there. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a, a centerpiece. Yeah. 
think one thing that we can't just leave off right quite yet is that God is holy. Okay. That is a very Christian word. When we talk about the holiness of God, it's, it's a very Christian definition of God. Yeah. And, you know, the Bible does say God is love. But it doesn't say God is love, love, love. It just says God is love. Right. Which that's important. But all throughout the Bible, God is described as not just holy, but holy, holy, holy. Yeah. And when something is repeated three times like that, that's meant to draw our attention to it. And holy seems like such a high word. And and of course, it's important, but it has a very simple definition. It just yeah. means to be set apart, that God is completely different than us, that we can't come close to God, uh, you know, not by our efforts, not by our works or anything like that. But the good news is that that God drew near to us. Yeah. Yeah. So when we're thinking about holiness um, and, and maybe I need you to provide some insight here for me because this is an area I'm very under-researched in. But we talked about earlier, like when we think about probably the most, the thing that comes to people's minds is probably like Greek mythology. If we think about other gods that we know a lot about, gods in quotes, um, they were very unholy. You know, they were set apart on Mount Olympus. They were, you know, you didn't want to go near them because they'd probably kill you. But there were a lot of these things about them that made them very much like man, right? In their personality and their actions. Um, Is God's, is the Christian God's holiness something that is different than what gets described about Allah or other gods? I mean, I I think so. Okay. Um, Of of course, Buddhists don't have a God per se. Um, and, and Hindus have 300 million gods. Yeah. Surely there's a holy one in there somewhere. <laughs> Maybe. Um, no, no, no. Unless it's a Christian God, then no. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, so the, the Christian God is holy and we can see that because when he comes in contact with mere mortals, hmm. there's a dramatic change. Yeah. When Moses saw the, just the backside of God passing through the cleft in the rock described in Exodus. Yep. His hair turned white and he had a glowing face when he came down from the mountain. That's talking about Moses. Yeah. Um, When Isaiah sees God, his immediate reaction is, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm sinful, sinful, sinful. Yeah. And God's holy, holy, holy. Um, and we just see it time and time again that God's not something that we need to be, we need to treat as just common or profane. Right. Um, in Leviticus, Aaron's sons, Aaron was a high priest in Israel. Yeah. Uh, Aaron's sons go into the temple and and what can only be described as not the proper manner. Because mm-hmm. what happened is both of them were struck dead. Yeah. They didn't take God seriously because of the way they they lived, the, the way they acted. Right. So, yeah, I think about the analogy that gets used a lot and I, di- I didn't realize how, you know, all analogies break down at some point, but I really think there's some, some good truth to this. God, get, we think of God as like this big ball of light, right? Like the sun, mm-hmm. God gets compared to the sun a lot, but what's good about that analogy. And I think what's helpful is the sun is good. It provides a life. It gives life. You know, without the sun, plants couldn't grow. We wouldn't have oxygen. And, you know, the sun feeds the plankton in the in the water. And, you know, without the sun, life is not sustainable on Earth, biologically speaking. Right. But it's also incredibly dangerous. And if you get too close to it, you don't make it out alive. Yeah. And that is such a powerful way to think about God. God is good. He gives life. He is sustainer of life. But there is a proximity that at least on this side of eternity, we can't have to him because he's so holy and so good. And we would just burn up. But the beauty of Jesus, like we talked about, is that he is he is our sun shield. And now we get to be close to him because he has made us righteous. Right. And when you when you talk about the, the sun analogy, I automatically thought of what C.S. Lewis talks about in yeah. Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. 
Lucy's having a, a conversation with, with somebody else. I don't know who it is. It's not Aslan because they're talking about Aslan. Right. I think it's, is it Mr. Beaver? The, I think so. Yeah. Yes. And of course, Mr. Beaver is familiar with Aslan the lion. And Lucy is just asking all these kinds of questions like a curious child yeah. would. And she's like, is, is Aslan, is, is he good? And Mr. Beaver's like, oh, oh yeah, of course he's good. And there's like a kind of a sigh of relief for Lucy. Yeah. And she's like, oh, that that's good. Is he safe? And Mr. Beaver is like, oh, no, he is not safe. Yeah. He's good, but he's not safe. So that should, it, it goes back to the fear of the Lord. Right. Which is talked about a lot in the Bible. And we won't talk about it much here, but I was reading a book on it and it it acknowledged that, yes, the Bible says, um, do not fear, do not be afraid, something like 360 times in the Bible. Yeah. It also says, fear the Lord your God. Right. And the difference between the two is that one fear knocks you on your back and one fear knocks you on your face. Mm. And we need to be in the place where we're on the face when we're on our face before God, not yeah. on our back. Yeah. So. Man, that's good. That's good stuff. I, I literally got chills when you were talking about the the line, the witch in the wardrobe, like this is yeah. what a powerful line. Mm-hmm. He's, he's good, but he's not safe. Yeah. And I don't know that we'd want it any other way. Yeah. No, absolutely so. not. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Couch to 5K Theology Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure to leave a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. In the next episode, we're going to be diving into the Trinity. So if you don't want to miss that, make sure to follow or subscribe and also join our email newsletter to get updates about release times and extra content. To join in on the discussion, feel free to reach out at the email below and follow Connor and I on Instagram at at SethInTheCity underscore and at Connor.Hedges underscore. The music you heard at the beginning of this episode and that you're hearing again now was written by Sammy Hong and produced by Gibson Littleton. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.